just when you thought you couldn't make the American airport any more miserable, let's put the TSA people in charge of the vaccine mandates. I just, the, 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 first of all, the TSA should be abolished and we can do a whole show on that. This should, the, the, the current security regime should not even exist, let alone this vaccine. I do agree with one thing. Why the airport? Because you can. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. And welcome back to Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. I'm Joe Arnold, Kaylee Price, Kevin Grout, and Scott all here today to recap. And first of all, welcome back. Happy New Year to everybody. And hopefully everyone survived the Omicron variant surge of, of the holidays. And really, this is the this is the key week right now because you have to see who all spread it to whom else when, whenever you were gathering with your family. Kevin, was, was your family safe, sound, and has anybody uh, come down with this after the holidays? Hey, Joe. Happy New Year. Um, I actually had uh, a sister and a sister-in-law have both tested positive of late, but uh, didn't see either of them when they were infectious. But yeah, it's that time that we're all really wondering who to trust again. And that's uh, scary after a holiday. What do you mean? What do you mean? Kevin, Kevin is still operating in the old regime where if you catch if you catch COVID, you you have a moral failing. It's a moral like, well, failing. You can't trust COVID, that isn't it? Oh no! Uh, <laughs> I just said that to Ralph Scott up. <laughs> uh, you're, you should write one of these pieces like we've seen in you know all these newspapers. Like, don't feel ashamed if you catch COVID, even though. We've spent the last two years shaming everyone. Whoever I saw Chris. Has been Chris to the CNN I have to say, yeah, I was with both sides of my family, and then a lot of extended family for a funeral, and not once did Omicron or COVID come up because who cares about it anymore? Oh, but then the we're next morning, everyone... we're protected, Look. and let's move on, people. My God! The, the next morning, everyone looks at their phone, hoping they don't get that text message. Hey, you need to go get tested. No, I don't. No. I mean, I, I think at this point, isn't it a reasonable assumption that you have it, are getting it, or will be getting it soon? I mean, the, if you just look at the spread on this thing, the mask clearly, I mean, all the public health people, I know this would have gotten our podcast banned a year ago, but now all the public health people say the masks do nothing. Right, and so and and the vaccines don't keep you from getting it. They certainly keep you from dying mm-hmm. or having serious illness, which is a key issue, and we should talk about that. But at this point, it's out there, it's happening, and if you're vaccinated, you know it's not the end of the world. I think that's I a still- really key point that's being missed right now, Scott. Is where everybody on all sides is just talking about everybody's getting COVID and the vaccine, and you know the, we know the rollout of what the vaccine would do was wrong and and all of that, but we have got to elevate the message that this vaccine is not about keeping you from getting it. It's about keeping you from dying. And that's a really important thing. And it's working for that. And so let's accept that the vaccine is what it is and, and move on from the, I'm going to get COVID or I'm not. And I'm a leper. If I do. Did you see to, to that point that the, this group of former advisors to president Biden, this was the, the interim uh, medical group, advising him in the interim before he became president they've they've now put out some op-eds this week uh to that very point uh kaylee kind of pushing him to and, and scott i know a point that you've been drumming for almost two years now 
which is to say we're never going to get to COVID zero. It's always going to be here. Oh my gosh. And yeah. it's, no. it's interesting how long it takes people to come around to that. But that, that seems to be that their message here is to say, okay, never mind trying to obliterate this. How are we going to deal with this and mitigate the consequences moving forward? And we are. I mean, the thing is, we are. I mean, it, there's no mystery. There's no mystery here. I mean, basically, we have to get our shots and we all get a mild cold. <laughs> and and if that's the worst thing that happens to you out of this whole thing, that's that's a pretty good outcome compared to where we thought we might be, you know, last spring before we had vaccines. And so I but but there are a group of people in this country dedicated to this idea of permanent lockdown, permanent masking uh and and the and 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 sort of shaming anyone who who isn't dedicated to this covid zero deal. that's over it's over and it's not it's not going to be possible and we need to just accept it and live our lives i i'm amazed at the number of people that i see out there who are still dedicated to the idea of shutdowns and lockdowns and, and i you know, we're, think it's we've crazy always, we've always said if you're sick stay home right like that that's a general normal thing to do. If you have the flu, you stay home. If you're sick, stay home. That, and it's never not... been easier now that we all have, can work from home or most of a, a lot of folks can. It's, it's, uh, every, it's a personal responsibility thing now that everyone, if you sniffle or cough more than twice in a minute, stay home. Now I am conflicted because generally speaking, I'm agreeing with everything you guys are saying, but then I, I also certainly respect people who have concerns about this within their own families and certainly they're taking their own precautions. And the other thing, which is the disconnect, I, mean, I don't work in a hospital. I don't go there every day. I don't know what the actual reality is behind those doors. And, they, and as a result, because the fact that I pretty much have been living my normal life for a year, and I don't live on the coasts where it's, it's gen- are in the more of an urban areas where it seems to be, you know, something which is, has changed your life profoundly, as a result, there is a disconnect sometimes or a kind of a cognitive dissonance when I hear these stories about how it's just completely overrunning. And I, cause I've always agreed from the very beginning, the whole, remember flatten the curve that the whole point of that was it's not, even then they were saying, we're not going to be able to stop this. We're just going to try to, to keep it at a reasonable pace. So the hospitals aren't overwhelmed, but I thought I'm still hearing instances today where hospitals are saying they're overwhelmed. Well, so, there's, a couple, there's, a couple of, there's a couple of issues, though. Number one, I do think in the beginning they thought they could isolate the virus down to zero. That was erroneous. Number two, regarding hospitals now, though, there, there is an interesting issue, and even Fauci has had to admit this lately, and that is there are a lot of people in the hospital, and there are a lot of people in the hospital with COVID, but they're not in the hospital because of COVID. They're in the hospital for some other reason. They give them a COVID test and say, oh, well, you, you also have COVID and they may be asymptomatic from COVID or it's not a it's not a big deal. And we I think what is clear is that if you are vaccinated, you are not being hospitalized for serious illness and you are not dying. But there are definitely people in the hospital who have other ailments that obviously they're getting COVID because everyone else is getting it because this thing is spreading so easily. So it brings me back to the original point. If you have a vaccine and you have COVID, it's it's not the end of the world. It's okay. It's okay. And hospitals, I think, um, I mean, I guess it's dependent upon where you live. If you live in a place with low vaccination rates, you know, you have more people that are unvaccinated with serious COVID illness. If you live in a high vaccinated area, your hospitals may be busy, but that's not because 
of COVID patients who were vaccinated coming in, taking up all the ICU beds. I also think there's a big healthcare worker shortage, and that plays into when hospitals say what their capacity is, and if they're above capacity, they they're not fully staffed right now. They haven't been for a long time. This was pre-pandemic that that trend was happening, and so you know sometimes only. 60% of the beds are full, but if they don't have nurses to take care of you, then they're over capacity at that point. And that's, that, of course, I guess is the long run. My biggest concern is that regardless of whatever, all the different factors going into it, what can we do for the general common good? Other that's things that are controllable. Vaccinated. Right. No, I agree. No, but I'm saying in terms of the, the question is, is what's controllable uh, regarding the, the, the population or the, the, the capacity of hospitals. Now, Scott, you're exactly right. And this is a very important uh, clarification on the note of people have been, the people have been counted as COVID hospitalized if they've been diagnosed with COVID while they're in the hospital. You could be in right. there for a knee replacement and you get diagnosed with COVID, be asymptomatic, but still be counted as a COVID patient. So that, that is, that, and that's, and that's the kind of, you know, just, manipulation of of the facts which is why people like me end up becoming distrustful in general which is unfortunate because i i would like to just have information and and factual on just what it is but that's the kind of the, you know the bending of all that which has made things more difficult but ultimately though i still care about it's the reason why scott i know you recently gave blood and i and i haven't gotten back into that train but i need to is because you care about the general health and welfare of of the of our neighbors so this is my concern about hospitals for instance is is, is it, 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 are can we still do something and i guess right now it is basically encouraging people i guess to get vaccinated i guess would be the number one thing that would be the controllable factor yeah know. where'd you get by the way where'd you guys come down on the whole vaccine mandates for um airline passengers i ended up on tv the other night somebody was arguing for vaccine mandates to get on an airplane and of course i i oppose this air First of all, airplanes have the cleanest air you can possibly breathe. And second of all, you know, at this point, over 85% of Americans have gotten at least one shot. And I was wondering, do you think that the final 15% are all huddled, you know, at the uh, whatever Starbucks at the airport? Like, <laughs> I mean, this is not necessarily where they are. And I just thought it was a whole idea built around punishing people we hate, punishing people we don't like, punishing people we don't want to sit next to on an airplane sort of an elite idea that is designed to punish those that they deem morally or politically reprehensible. And I, I was strongly opposed to where'd you guys, where do you guys come down on that? I think unless the IRS is showing up at everyone's door with a needle, maybe some people just aren't going to be reached at this point. And no one has ever thought the airport was a particularly clean or happy place. I mean, you go on social media and you see all these pictures of people taking their shoes and socks off on an airplane. You kind of know when you get into a common space, what you're going to get. And um, I think I've heard somebody make the point that being on the actual airplane, it, you are going to be sucking in the cleanest air of your life. That air is filtered and refiltered so frequently that uh, it, it's uh, you're, you're going to be okay. So uh, no one should be checking my card, um, check, check my passport. And that's about it. I think it's important to, to note why airports have been designated as places that this can be uh, potentially enforced. It's not because they're any more dangerous than any place else. It's because 
they can. It's because they have the, you know, I'm saying because they have the, the authorities in place and the screening in place. You're going to get going on his TSA rant here. <laughs> you can't here see me. I'm, I'm hulking up right now. I'm here hulking up. My point I'm hulking is, up. So what I'm saying is if, in fact, there was a similar restriction to be able to get into Kroger or wherever else you shop, then there would be a, a similar effort to use, okay, the tools are in place. We can make it work here. Because the TSA and because the airlines have the, 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 this processing of controlling the flow of who boards an airplane in the first place, that's why they want to use this, these tools. Scott, the TSA, <laughs> known as the model of government efficiency, keeping airports moving, keeping lines short, keeping people happy, definitely not feeling of people unnecessarily, definitely not snooping through an 87-year-old woman's, you know, whatever, walker and the bag hanging off of it. I mean, the, the, the idea that these people could possibly execute the, the 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 prospect of sorting out vaccine cards and who's got a religious exemption and who's got a medical I mean just when you thought you couldn't make the American airport any more miserable let's put the TSA people in charge of the vaccine mandates I just the the, the, the first of all the TSA should be abolished and we can do a whole show on that this should the, the, the current security regime should not even exist let alone this vaccine. I do agree with one thing. Why the airport? Because you can. If you really wanted to grab people where they had to go, the mall, the store, you know, whatever, that's where you'd really grab them. That's why I argued on TV, this isn't about getting the unvaccinated. It's about punishing people. It's it's literally about control and punishment, which has nothing to do with public health. I don't, yeah, I don't even know if it's about punishment as much as it is about big government for no gain what to scott's point the 15 percent that aren't vaccinated aren't on airplanes maybe that often not at the starbucks at the airport so what's the gain it's just big government because liberals like big government that's what it is and then the next the next thing about airplanes is now we have everybody saying masks don't work they're not doing it so when i get on a plane sometime later this month am i still gonna have to wear a mask I assume you all saw the video from uh, China with the public shaming of the people who broke their vaccine restrictions and quarantines. It was a parade of people through the streets in a very Game of Thrones-esque. I assume someone was there ringing a bell. Uh, I'm not saying that's where the TSA is going, but uh, maybe maybe we're headed to some public shaming. You see, the, the, the issue, though, is, is that there's still a, a group of people in this country, and they happen to be the elite liberals who have these ideas of mandates, who think that if we just signal our virtues just enough, the vaccine will finally hear us. I mean, this entire regime of people have, it has been a, a perpetual deployment of voodoo, talismans, rain dances, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it. None of, if I just tweet at the virus enough, it'll, it'll pass over my house. The pestilence will pass over. It has been, this has been the most maddening thing for two years. People literally engaging in modern voodoo, believing that if I just get the politics and the virtue signaling and the talk and the tweets, if I just get all that right, and if I just hate the right people, the virus will leave me alone. Now they all have coronavirus. And so they're going to try even harder by making airports miserable. Outrageous. 
Well, back to just a full circle on this, and we'll move on to the to the capital. And I'll just say that at the same time, and given all of our passions about this, I still think it's important to respect people who have concerns of their own, and to and, and whether it's in their homes or in their space, and and they're not bad people for being concerned about it. I mean, and and I think sometimes there are some folks who are on the anti-masking, anti-vaccination, anti-whatever league can try to be in your face purposefully about this. And I think it's important that, that if, as far as moving forward with all this, because it's going to be, to your point and to all of our points, it's not going to go away. I'm hoping as we move forward that we can respect people. For instance, if, 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 if I, let's just say I do want to wear a mask when I go to the grocery store. I don't need anybody let, telling or me. Let's say, or let's say you got elected president, Joe, and you wanted to take a, a singular walk on the beach outdoors with your new dog, and you wanted to wear your mask outside, literally around no other person. Let's say you wanted to do that. I'm just you, saying, man. You hijacked my point. <laughs> but my point being is, if I'm, a, if I'm at the grocery store or wherever else, and I want to wear a mask, then I don't need someone walking up to me and saying, you, you don't need that. That's re- you're, you're, you're being oppressed. That's ridiculous. That's 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 just virtue signaling. I I understand if you're if you're forcing me to do it, I agree with you. But I'm saying is, and I mean, in all honesty, I don't wear my mask to the grocery store unless I have to, unless I oh. you know, require it. But you're not, but you're not it, doing but, enough. But if I was in enough. that camp, but my point being is, I my this is the whole, you know, a symptom of the bigger problem here of, of the tribalism that everything infects everything is that everyone believes that everything has to be their opportunity to make a point. So I don't want people to be forcing me to do this on the airplane, but I also want people to be, uh, you know, to, to, to be criticizing other folks who are just plainly exercising their own safety precautions. They're trying to turn, Kaylee, these masks on airplanes that you brought up. They're, this will be the new shoes. Like, we're, if we don't get rid of this, We'll be wearing masks on airplanes for the rest of our natural life, just the way we are unnecessarily taking off our shoes at the airport. That's it the will likely, deal. to your point, Scott, it will likely be the last COVID precaution to end. Yeah, and I, I mean, think that's right. And, and I think flu season, they'll say that, well, you know, it worked for COVID. This should be, and of course, and it's always flu season. I, I, I don't doubt the fact that the, at some point you'll say, because and if, I'm an, if I'm a flight attendant union or whatever else, I'm going to say, well... I shouldn't be forced to to wait on people who aren't masked. You know, I just I, I think I think you're right. I think this will be the last thing to if, if it ever goes away. Right. Well, you know what else will not go away because people don't want to take it down. If you, like, who's been into a, a bank or a store or someplace lately where they still have up the plexiglass, which, right. by the way, we now know actually makes it worse. Right. All of this right. plexiglass disrupted the airflow in buildings. So this stupid virtue signaling that we made everybody do actually made it worse. Right. And it all still exists because no one wants to spend the money to take it down. I mean, ridiculous. They're also, How dumb are we? Nobody wants to take the money to take it down. And there'll be two people that go to that bank next week that are upset that it's not there because they're virtue signaling and they'll make a bigger deal about it than anybody else. And so there's also small business owners scared to stop the restrictions and safety measures because of these mm. people. So let's go to Washington and the U S Capitol where uh, we're recording this podcast on January 6th, the anniversary of 
whether you want to call it the insurrection, the mob, the riot, the what, what do you call it, Scott? Well, I, I mean, to me, the the literal definition of insurrection fits here because it was a group of people literally <laughs> trying to uh, overturn the power structure in a government uh, illegally, unlawfully, and so I mean. I've used that word. I've used it on TV since that day. I was on tell I was here, uh, you know, watching it and it was on. And, and so it, it has always struck me is that it may not have been as organized as some people think it was, but it was definitely organized somewhat. People showed up with, with zip ties and, and, uh, and plans to repel down the side of the Senate chamber. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else you would call it. I mean, they're certainly not tourists, which is what I hear some, some people out there saying tourists who just got a little out of hand. No, no, no. That, no, no, these were not tourists. So I've used that word. I think it fits. I know I've also used the word riot and I've used the word mob because I think those fit as well. Kevin, were you there on that day? Kevin came to us from Capitol Hill, but you probably were remote that day, weren't you? We were remote. We were still in the COVID some on, some off. So I, I was I was just as horrified watching from home that day. Kevin was offsite. He was doing an anti-COVID uh, voodoo spell that day, trying to ward off COVID by not showing up for work, despite us taxpayers paying his salary. We understand. It turns that. out I can I can do the voodoo and send emails at the same time. It took a, a while, but two years in, I, I'm practiced up. Kevin is not so having it. There's well, not even a smile right now. There is uh, there's an attempt right now politically, you know, as far as okay, what what does this say about current legislation? And the big thing is voting rights. And it's the, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and, and other changes that basically would cause the federal government to be able to have more control over state the way the states run their elections locally. And But it's interesting, Kaylee, that, that the uh, Democrats on Capitol Hill and, 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 and these hearings and things that are going on about that, they are now basically linking them, you know, their hand in glove, that, that voting rights is directly linked to January 6th. I mean, I'll just tell you what I think. This makes no sense. We just had two elections, one before COVID and one after. The one before COVID, a midterm, had a higher midterm turnout than any midterm in 100 years. The one after COVID, in which we changed all the voting rules all over the place, had a higher turnout than any presidential election in 100 years. It has never been easier and more fashionable to vote, period. Joe Biden today in his speech on January the 6th continued this lie that there are state legislatures trying to take away people's voting rights, trying to restrict you, trying to eliminate your franchise. This is an absolute lie. It's an absolute lie. January 6th has nothing to do with the attempted federalization and overall federal takeover of our elections that Democrats prefer. Nothing. They're linking them together. I don't know why. Because they're they're desperately looking for any way to shame their own members into doing it. Thank God for Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. Now, there is one bill that I do think makes sense because it's germane to what happened on January 6th. It's the Electoral Count Act of 1887 or whatever, which has been in the news this week. Kevin, Kaylee, Joe, I missed your thoughts on it, but it seems to me that that's the only germane piece of what's being discussed right now. And and who is the one who, when, when Republicans said maybe there's some interest in revisiting that bill, who is the one who shut down that conversation immediately? It's the Democrats. They don't want to actually solve the problem that led to or that, that we all saw a year ago today. Well, if you just came out of the Build Back Better defeat after it was separated from the infrastructure bill, wouldn't you feel the same way if you're a progressive? 
I mean, you would you, you need to have these linked because if you allow the Electoral College Act uh, this you know this this to be uh, clarified and that to be your electoral reform of the year, you're going to take the air out of the balloon for any other energy you have for other voting rights legislation. I think it's also important to remember, Joe. When you're tie- when when you say the Democrats are trying to tie it to January sixth, when they first proposed the For the People Act, it wasn't in twenty twenty one. It wasn't in twenty twenty. It was when Democrats won the midterms in twenty eighteen. They have been pushing this I- almost identical bill for years, trying to solve whatever problem they currently identified. It's a solution in search of a problem, uh, and the problem is they don't think Democrats win enough elections. Yeah, I um I what I think is going to happen here is Democrats are going to fail at the larger voting rights, if that's what you want to call it, package. But a deal probably exists to be done on this electoral college count issue. Uh, because under the current law, one congressman and one senator, you just need one from each chamber, can basically cause this crisis as it was on January 6th, or at least cause this idea that we need to interrupt the, the certification or the county of the Electoral College. It's a really low threshold. And so there's two ideas floating. One is to scrap it all together and give Congress no role, or the other is to make it a higher threshold. So you'd have to get a fifth of the Senate or way more congressmen than, than one, which either to me sounds like a, a reasonable idea. I've been, I've been dealing with this law for years. In 2000, the Democrats used it to try to stop George W. Bush. In 2004, they used it again to try to stop George W. Bush. And in fact, did get a senator and a congressman to force the same kind of vote that happened uh, uh, after, uh, after Joe Biden won. So Republicans here are not the first people to try to use this thing to upend the legitimacy of a new president. But they ought to be the last. And so I'm hoping that a deal, a bipartisan deal, on this and this alone can come together where the essentially the center and center right centrists of the Senate can can coalesce the way they did on infrastructure and and do something germane that actually is linked to the news issue at hand. I agree. And I, I, I hope that happens, too. I think, you know, I I read something where Biden said we have to do this, basically alluding that we have to do this federal takeover of elections because we have to protect the sacred right to vote and the federal government's the one to do that. And I don't know about you guys and everybody listening, but I don't trust the federal government more than I do the state representative and and secretary of state and people back at home that I see on a regular basis and have lunch with and, and do all these things. I just, the idea that Americans want the federal government to take this over is just so off base. Well, you, you addressed what I was going to ask each of you is just to say, can you explain for those folks who were some, some you know, a lot of folks listening, of course, are, are tied into these policies and they understand what's going on. But, so, you know, some folks who are watching from the fringes are saying, well, what's the problem? If they're just trying to make sure if everyone can, can vote uh, and has a right to vote, why do Republicans ever have a problem with that? Every everyone can vote. I mean, this is the this is the left out issue. Democrats say. People are having trouble voting. This is not true. Everyone can vote. It's never been easier or more in vogue to vote. Turnout is through the roof. We have lots of participation. By the way, donations to campaigns are through the roof. It's never been more in vogue to be politically active than it is right now. The only thing protecting us from some national electoral catastrophe is the decentralization of the election system in this country. It is controlled in state capitals, in county courthouses, in municipalities, by secretaries of state and county clerks and boards of elections. 
There's no one entity or one person that can be hijacked that destroys the, the integrity of an entire election system. This is one of our great strengths. The federalism of this is one of our great strengths and one of our greatest protections. And mm-hmm. Democrats want to do away with it and federalize the entire election system and take power out of the states. Would you have wanted Donald Trump and the federal government, with him at the helm, to have been in full control of our election system in 2020? Of course you would not have. Nor would I want Joe Biden to be in full control of it in 2024. The decentralization of this is our protection, and in this case, it was our salvation. Because it would be impossible to get the tens of thousands of people together necessary to engage in a conspiracy on the scale that Trump is alleging. Well, looking back at the 2000 election that you mentioned before with George W. Bush and Al Gore, you know, that was the concern I remember that I had you know, from the very beginning was that if you had one computer system, if it was Diebold or anybody else, you could just swap out a card and you could, you can, and you could change the res- results in every state. Somebody would figure out a way to do that. You know, so, and so there was reforms after 2000. So the question is, is that, you know, I guess, where, where, where do we land here? What, what's, what's the ultimate conclusion here, do you think? I think a 50-50 chance that the Electoral Count Act gets resolved in a bipartisan way in the Senate. Whether the House progressives will permit it, I don't know. But the fact that Mitch McConnell opened the door to this tells me something. Uh, and the fact that you do have a bipartisan group that was basically the group doing the infrastructure bill interest in it tells me something. So there could be some leadership on this. But again, it all it all comes down to Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and these progressives. And do they want a solution or do they want to just maintain the presence of an issue? Kevin, your time on Capitol Hill, you uh, I'm curious about your observation on Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader. And he has pledged they're going to have a vote on this one way or the other. I mean, they're going to do a vote on 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 January 17th. So if it, that would lead some people to believe to say, well, then he must have some ace up his sleeve to be able to figure out how to break this filibuster. And he hasn't shared it with anybody else. Or what is the, what is the logic of going in for a vote, you know, is going to fail. Yeah. I don't know if there is a lot here of logic uh, on behalf of Senator Schumer. They say when it comes to the Senate, the most or the, the, the most important currency is floor time is what the Senate is doing on the floor. And the fact that he wants to use precious Senate floor time in the run-up to an election when they could be showing that Democrats can govern, he says they're going to vote on the BBB that is already dead. They're going to vote on voting rights that are going to get filibustered. They're going to vote on nuking the filibuster that two of his members have and 50 other Republicans say they're not going to do. So you setting up all these failed votes, I think will lead any... Uh, viewer of the Senate floor to say, well, this looks like failed leadership, a leader who can't get things done. Kaylee? Yeah, I think... not the best color man in the league for nothing, folks. (laughs) (laughs) He nailed it. I mean, I think... Take take the other side. uh, Compliment Chuck Schumer. Yeah, exactly. No, I think what's really interesting about what Schumer is doing here on the filibuster to shift just to that a little bit in doing that is how he has defended it for so many years and said, it's what makes the Senate so prestigious basically is what he's saying. It makes it different than the house. And all of a sudden when he's in charge, he says that the Senate's not as prestigious as it used to be. I mean, he's kind of kicking himself there. Let me float a different theory on why Schumer wants to fail or wants to allow this to go on on January 17th. 
I think that there is some value for some folks. There's a commodity there of being able to be a victim. I think that victimhood today in this country is oftentimes a stamp of, of, of honor. It's, 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 it shows that you have somehow, if, if you have been wronged in some way, Donald Trump perfected this, frankly. I mean, he's, he's, he's an example of it. I mean, if you can, if you can claim victimhood, there is, there is some commodity there. I, what, what do you think, Scott? Is there, is there any value, do you think, in, in, in Schumer being able to say we're all victims here because the Republicans oh. stopped this from happening? I mean, it's how you it, it, is, it is the principal credential for being a successful Democrat these days is how many victim boxes can you check? And so I, I think your theory is, is extremely valid. I also think he's he's under pressure from his left flank to or to say, I've done everything I can do. Um, and I guess he thinks potentially by holding these votes that enough outside pressure will come on Mansion and Cinema to change. I don't think they're going to change. I pray they don't. Perhaps Cinema would be more, you know, impressionable than Mansion. I mean, look, if you have all the most liberal leftist people in the world screaming at you in West Virginia. It's helping him. I mean, it's not hurting him. It's helping him. So I, I think your I think your theory, Joe, is is very very valid. This idea of of you know, it gives us a victimhood status. We're being victimized by these people who want to destroy our democracy. I, I think that's a very valid, valid theory, man. Kaylee, back to you. What is your, what is your pred- prediction on uh, filibuster and mansion and where we stand on that? Do you think, I mean, do you read the tea leaves one way or the other? I, I mean, why would he switch? He's beloved by the people in West Virginia. Why, why would he give in to that? And, and I think he really believes it. I think he believes in the Senate and what the Senate does and how the Senate's structured. And I don't think he's going to budge. Let's talk about, uh, before we wrap it up here today, I want to ask you, Scott, about any, any memories or thoughts about uh, Harry Reid is going to be lying in state. Uh, I think they passed the special provision to allow the cattle falk that was originally used for Abraham Great Lincoln. pronunciation on the first try, too. I appreciate that. I, I've, I've always been a fan of, of Senate history, anyway, of, of the Capitol. But he'll be there. And, and of course, a lot of, uh, and Kevin, of course, you with the McConnell's office, that, you know, that a lot of history there uh, between McConnell and, and, and Reed. And frankly, I mean, I hate, I, I hate to bring it up, uh, Scott, but, you know, the, I, I saw Mitt Romney was asked about Harry Reid. And he sort of, he, he, he was very diplomatic in how he responded because Harry Reid, of course, famously or infamously, uh, you know, accused Mitt Romney of not paying taxes and uh, said he got his facts wrong. Yeah. Well, Harry Reid was one of the nastiest partisans in Washington. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, I, I look, I'm, you know, for Democrats, he was, you know, the longevity and the leadership, I, whatever. I mean, they, they're having their moment. This was a nasty partisan and went down to the Senate floor in 2012 and made a long speech about having secret knowledge that Mitt Romney had never paid taxes, didn't pay his taxes. Totally erroneous and a lie. And when asked to justify it later, said, well, he lost, didn't he? As it, as though that were a, a proper justification of the use of the Senate floor to lie about a presidential candidate. I mean, that tells you something about whether this person was a statesman or not. I would argue that's the opposite of statesmanship. Uh, that's number one. Number two, God bless Harry Reid, who eliminated the filibuster rules on ju- on some judicial vacancy. God bless Harry Reid because, you know, he blew right past all the warning signs. Mitch McConnell warned him, if you do this, you will regret it. And Harry Reid and his vision and wisdom and leadership 
blew right past it, chinked, uh, you know, put a chink in the armor of the, of the filibuster on judicial stuff, and it gave ultimately led to a Republican resurgence in the judiciary, three Supreme Court justices, et cetera, et cetera. So he was a bad person on some fronts, but God bless Harry Reid. His legacy, a conservative judiciary, thanks to Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell. Uh, th- this isn't necessarily a, a, a statement of his legacy. It was just my my one interaction with Harry Reid when uh, I, w- I was working up there. Every Tuesday, the the leaders of each party hold a, a press conference right off side right off the Senate floor called a stakeout, where they lay out their agenda for the week. Usually, the majority leader goes first, says what they're going to do, and the major the minority leader comes out and says why that's wrong. Uh, well, in my first few months on the Capitol, um, one of my jobs. Uh, was you know moving supplies around, and I, uh, unbeknownst to everything that was going on, drove a handcart right through his press conference. Uh, and uh, <laughs> there, there's even video of him just like looking over his shoulder and uh, giving me a, a death glare. So um, that that's me and Harry Reid right there. <laughs> that's amazing. You're, it's amazing you didn't get pummeled right on the spot. Yeah, I think if uh, the cameras had been a little farther away, he might have turned around and showed me that boxer quality he had. Kaylee, did you ever photobomb Harry Reid, Kaylee? I don't. I don't have any anything to add to Kevin's story. I think my no photobombing of Harry Reid. No, I didn't. No. Didn't get that opportunity. <laughs> what have, What have we seen, read, and heard in the past uh, week and a week and a half or so since our last roundtable? Uh, I will start because I just brought this up. I I wanted to. I I appreciated the uh, the the uh, the effort or the 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 pardoning by Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards of uh, Homer Plessy, Plessy of Plessy v. Ferguson fame or infamy, that 1892 Supreme Court case that, of course, was later overturned with Brown v. Board of Education, and but after you know all these years, uh, he had never been pardoned for the crime of riding on a rail car that was uh, the, that was set aside for white people. He was one-eighth African-American and, and decided as, this was, more like, it was like a Rosa Parks type challenge at the time. This was, a, this was intentionally done to be able to test the law. And, uh, but, but after all these years, and of course after the Supreme Court overturned the decision in 1954, uh, John Bell Edwards of Louisiana pardoned Homer Plessy. So I think that's a good, a good scene for this week. Great Scott, point. how about you? Uh, watching the new Disney Plus Star Wars series called The Book of Boba Fett, which finally came out. Uh, we've seen two episodes, the, the two that have been launched. It's excellent. We've been looking forward to this for a long time. Uh, we're recording on the 6th, so the episode that came out on the 5th we watched, and uh, Boba Fett uh, has some uh, people to contend with that were quite thrilling for the children in the Jennings household. And, um, and so anyway, they're doing it as they have on most of their stuff so far, they're doing a lot of, a lot of cool stuff with this show. So book of Boba Fett is, uh, at the top of mind in the Jennings household and the star Wars content from Disney, the, 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 the three movies they produced, you know, seven, eight, nine, notwithstanding are, excellent. <laughs> you know, I think I have seen the star Wars movies one time each. And maybe not all of them. Hmm. Just like um, I don't know if I. This is where we're going to get a bunch of listener feedback right now. Yeah, I just Joe has. I mean, honestly, I mean the thing is, you've been alive. I mean, you've been alive 
you know, since the beginning of movies. So it's not like this all sort of happened before your time or anything. I mean, this this is literally been one of the biggest the cultural phenomenons of your entire life. I remember this. It, it, it just seeming cheesy to me when I saw it in the theaters the first time when it actually came out. It just seemed kind of cheesy. Kaylee. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, reading Before We Were Yours, a book about um, adoption and ills of that in the 1900s and how people were doing it for profit and all of that. Um, interesting read. But also, Joe, you reminded me of something that I haven't had a chance to look into too deep, deeply yet, but is interesting to me. This Colorado trucker that lost control of his truck and got 110 years in prison. Then the governor reduced his sentence down to just nine years or something. And I still don't understand. I mean, I it's tragic. People died. That's It's very sad. Um, but to me, all the facts I've seen have just been his brakes failed. It was a truck rented from the company he works for. And he is extremely to think that he doesn't have consequences without going to jail for nine years. I just, I don't know. That's something to put somebody in jail for nine years for. I believe if my memory serves that there was a question about the speed he was traveling before his brakes failed, but I think there are other factors that go into that, but point well taken. What, what I saw was just that he didn't go off on the like exit ramp for trucks once his brakes failed, he didn't go off on the exit ramp and I don't drive a truck, so I can't speak to it. But you know what, what people have said is, yeah, when you're going that fast, you can't always get over into that lane to get over there. It is interesting. The use of the pardon power or the different things that can, that can be done and how these governors are using them though. All right, Kevin, what you got for us? All right. So this, this weekend, my, my younger brother is headed back to South Korea. He teaches at a school there. So I, um, I know more about Korea uh, because of it. Uh, and I saw that the New York Post was reporting out of North Korea uh, some pretty groundbreaking news that Kim Jong-un announced that his father, <laughs> Kim Jong-il, is, and for, for the whole world, the inventor of the burrito. So everyone who enjoys a good burrito has uh, apparently Kim Jong-un to thank. And then upon reading further, I heard that there was a defection from South Korea over to the north, which normally it doesn't go that way. And then the United States and South Korea have apparently agreed upon a draft peace deal in their negotiations with the North Koreans. And all of this leads me to believe we really want to get a hold of that burrito recipe. He clearly knows what he's doing, and we we need to get up there. So uh, it's been a fun read on that this week. This is a, a, an incredibly uh, uh, comprehensive Korean Peninsula update to end right. the Flyover Country podcast with Scott Jennings. That's, that was impressive. I'm looking forward to trying to sell this podcast to the BBC. Kevin is bringing in sort of the international affairs review that we've been lacking. And by the way, Joe, see, in Star Wars, they have these things. They have the Jedi. <clears throat> they have the Sith. Uh, there are things called Wookiees. They have ships. They fly around space. It's good versus evil. I mean, it really is entertaining. And I just really sort of feel like I've been focused on this. Joe, I also <laughs> have not seen all the Star Wars. The only Star Wars-related stuff I've seen is Mandalorian. Both seasons, loved it. Really excited for this new show Scott's talking about. But I don't know all the context. I really don't know all the context. However, that's like a winter goal of mine right now. Big goals. Watch Star Wars. You know, I actually enjoyed, I went to Disney uh, and went to the uh, the Star Wars exhibit and the rides, and those are cool. 
and I, I'm familiar with Darth Vader and you know the the sort of the the mythology of all that kind of thing. It's just it's just I'm not as baked into it as most frankly, men of my age are who grew up with it. I, I just have always, maybe I'm just a contrarian as part of it. I don't know. You can find the Flyover uh, Country podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and check out our interviews on YouTube, including Scott's This Week, an incredible interview with Eric Erickson. Really enjoyed that. Watch that on YouTube last night. If you want to leave us a voicemail, you can head to speakpipe, speakpipe.com slash the flyover pod speakpipe.com the flyover pod and perhaps listen for your voice on the next flyover country with scott jennings scott take us home and uh, any other thoughts before we, we go yeah thanks for the being on the on the panel this week guys i've got a column out this week for gannett papers about january the 6th i'm going to post that as a red eye so you'll hear that on your podcast feed uh, I'm going to Florida this weekend for a speaking engagement. Uh, if I can get out, if I can get a flight out of Louisville, uh, I'll be going down to Marco Island to uh, give a talk uh, to a group down there. So looking forward to that. And uh, in the weeks ahead, I'll just say we have some excellent guests lined up. Uh, we have a major governor coming on the show. We have a major scientist coming on the show. Uh, we have... Um, uh, we've got a, uh, one of the most entertaining Twitter follows that I have coming on the show. So we've got, we've got good, good content coming out and we sincerely appreciate everyone's engagement with flyover country podcast. Flyover country with Scott Jennings is a production of bluegrass media lab coming to you from the heart of middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Five-star reviews will help us keep making the content that you love. To find my latest television hits, columns, and other commentary, go to scottjenningsky.com. And you can also find me at scottjenningsky on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening, and talk to you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, Make sure your seat backs and folding trays are in their full, upright position. Cabin crew, please take your seats for landing, and thank you for choosing Flyover Country with Scott Jennings.